0: pray together a moment God when we sing those words that they require so much faith so much trust that we would look at our world right now and we would say it as well we look at what happened in London yesterday and the seven more people are dead in the hands of crazy evil lunatics Twenty two last week. I look at the bombings that happened in the Middle East and the innocent lives that have been taken. We consider the difficulties we have in our own nation, the chaos we sense, the divisiveness, the brutality. God. faith. It is well. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us a stronger faith. It says in the Bible that faith is a gift, and that you would pour yourself out into us, God, that we'd be able to have the kind of faith now, as people who claim to know you, that we can make a difference, that others would see a confidence. Others would be able to see in us a a love and a compassion, empathy for the world, God. Now, God, as we talk about your son, Jesus, and we look at two accounts where he just did miraculous things, I pray that each one of us should know that 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 same Jesus is available for us and that he wants to relieve us of anxiety and worry as we cast all our cares on him and it's in his name we pray amen well i'm gonna invite you to have a seat that'd be wonderful right now if you do that and i just want to welcome you i'm just so glad that you're here and as we continue in this series if you're watching online just glad that you choose to check us out online just let you know that if you are watching online, that really the best place to get it is here, right? It's just a wonderful experience that we have together uh, to be here. And so just welcome to this series, Hope Unleashed. We're talking about encounters with Jesus. And what we're doing is for several weeks that we're looking at encounters that ordinary people had with Jesus and then how that unleashed hope in them in situations and circumstances where they didn't have hope at the moment, or they were lacking in hope, or they were discouraged in some way. And all of these encounters we're looking at are recorded by the Apostle John. And he wrote through his book, uh, different times that people encountered Jesus. And it's just really exciting to do that. And what we're doing in this series is we're working really hard to dig down And to put ourselves in the circumstance and the situation that we're talking about so that we can feel what the people are feeling or having that encounter. But really what we're trying to do is to tap into the empathy that we can see that Jesus has for ordinary people, for hurting people, for discouraged people. So that we're looking at, as he expresses his empathy, he expresses it through love, through a touch, uh, sometimes through healing, uh, through a miracle... Uh, as we saw last week, or a challenge in some way, he expresses empathy that way. But he unleashes hope in those who encounter him. And today we're going to look at the encounter with, as we're calling it, with the anxious. And so just to kind of you know, get us to be thinking about this, to see if we can relate to this, how many of you, with a show of hands, how many have ever felt anxiety or worry about money or a job or a spouse or a child or a problem or a circumstance? Raise your hand, all right? That would be all of us. All of us, unless you're too anxious to raise your hand. Uh, So I ran across this clip, and and it's from the Wizard of Oz, and I think it really does uh, help us to see uh, how we can live with anxiety and fear over the future. Let's watch this. This forest it's it's dark and creepy of course I don't know but I think it'll get darker before it gets lighter do do you suppose we'll meet any wild animals mm, we might animals that, that eat straw uh, some but mostly lions and tigers and bears lions and tigers and bears Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, lions Lions and and tigers and bears. I love that scene. I just love this whole thing. And so, so often we're like these characters that we see in the clip right now. We're going through life. We're going sickness and dangers and bills. Oh my. Sickness and <laughs> dangers and bills. Oh my. We go through life. So let me ask you, what do you feel anxious about today? What is it in your life? Maybe it's your finances or your health, or it could be the health of someone close to you. Uh, it could be your housing circumstance, your situation that you find yourself in. It could be the wrong choices you made somewhere along the way, and now you have consequences that you're living with because of those choices. It could be your children. It could be your marriage, your job, your career, your automobile, struggles there. It could be the temptations that you're facing in some way. It could be your stage of life. You Maybe you could be young and afraid of the future and not sure what's going to bring. It could be that you're at the end of your life and you're thinking about death and what that might bring. Maybe it's some kind of vague worry, you know, that you just carry around. You can't identify, but you just can't get rid of it. It always seems to be there. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, if you grab your message notes out. They're going to really help us follow along today. Um, and you can take some notes. All the Bible verses I'm going to use will be here. And we're actually looking in John chapter 6. So you can open your Bible to John chapter 6. Love to have you follow along there. Um, once again, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. So we'll give you one. It's our gift. You can pick it up in the bookshelves in the lobby there, and then you can have a Bible of your own. Just love to see you do that. I just want to mention, too, as we talk about books, is that uh, one of the books that I found helpful in this series is by Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, and it's called Encounters with Jesus. And uh, I've just found this helpful just to think about empathy and read through it uh, and not has a lot of stories that we're not covering because he goes outside of John to cover some of his stories. Uh, but also what I found is someone wrote me an email the, not long ago and they asked me to talk to them about uh, the devil or Satan and is Satan real and those kinds of questions. And so as I was researching that, I discovered that there's actually a chapter in this book. It's called Encounters with Jesus, but he does a really good job in one chapter of talking about the problem of evil and Satan And the struggle that we might have There's several copies in the bookstore. If you want to pick one up, you could that'd be awesome. So as we think about this whole idea of anxiety and being anxious, what we're going to see today, I hope that you're going to see is that Jesus is bigger than our anxieties. Jesus is bigger than that. So let's just jump right in, John chapter 6, and we're going to look at two different miracles today and combine them together because they happen back to back as we talk about this whole idea of anxiety. But I want to get into the first one, uh, and it says this, after this, and I'm going to come back and talk about what that means, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that's where he's doing a lot of his ministry in that region, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd, that's pretty key, kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. I mean, like he was just traveling, you know, kind of show of healing people and people were tagging along because they were hoping that they might have that same healing. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus then saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So kind of give you the context here is that this encounter, even though it's right after John 5 that we looked at last week, and we move into John 6 now, it actually happens about a year after John 5. And lots happened in this year. John the Baptist has been beheaded and killed with Jesus' you know, best friends. Uh, the disciples have gone out on one of their missionary journeys, and they've come back. Uh, his popularity has grown. Uh, lots of people are following him. Literally thousands of people would follow him around. Uh, the Jewish leaders and the, those who were uh, part of that religious system, that they had increasingly grown uh, angry at Jesus, and they were figuring out ways that they would actually... Kill him, uh, but his, he just became he was this rising star, and people followed him. Thousands of people would literally follow him from place to place. And in this story, Jesus' followers, because they at times they needed to get away from it all, right? They needed to break from all that was you know, all the ministry they were doing and all the crowds. Uh, and what they did is they went, and I'm going to show you a picture later in the service, of the Sea of Galilee. So they traveled up into the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And they're hoping to have some private time away from the crowds. And, but the crowds, because the Sea of Galilee isn't that big, they had actually seen where Jesus went. And they had followed Jesus. And so we ended there with a huge crowd was coming to him. And then we're going to look in a little bit about what happens in that place. We call this story the feeding of the 5,000, because in the text we'll read in just a few moments, it says that there were 5,000 men. Now, we know that anytime you have 5,000 men, that you're going to have women and children along as well. And so scholars say, you know, just estimates as best as we can, there were somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people, huge crowd, who had followed Jesus onto that hillside on that day. And a uh, it became such a popular spot that about 200 years after this incident that we're going to look at, that they actually built a church on this spot, and then about 200 years after they built the church on this spot, they actually formed a mosaic on the floor to depict the wonderful miracle that Jesus had done there, and there's a picture of that. You can actually see it. In 1932, it was actually uh, uncovered by archaeologists, and you can go and actually see that today uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where the miracle supposedly actually happened. So here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, story about Jesus. What does that have to do with today? What does that have to do with the anxiety that I feel today? And I think that the lesson I want us to get is best formed in a question. So I'll just ask the question. Here's the question I'm really hoping that we learn the answer to as we go through this today, and it's this. How are we living our lives in light of what we know about Jesus. How are we living our lives in light of we know what we know about who Jesus is, what we know about him. I'll just tell you, this is the key to overcoming anxiety. Is to know who Jesus is and to live my life according to who I know that he is. So I'm gonna look at three ideas. We're gonna go through these two miracles. Three ideas Three areas where we feel anxious in life, and I think we're all going to be able to relate to this as we go through this. So, the first one is this Jesus calms our anxious thoughts, and here it is when we're overwhelmed by our shortages. Ever been there? When we're overwhelmed by our shortages. I don't have enough, and I'm feeling anxious about that. So, this is the way it goes on. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So immediately, they're going to feel some tension as they've gone to be away from the crowds, and they look up, and they see this crowd of ten to 20,000 people you know, coming at them. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Why did he ask this question? What's this about, anyway? Guess what? He's God, right? He's God. Why was he asking advice from his disciple, from Philip? This would be like an auto mechanic asking me personally repair advice, okay? That's kind of what this is like in this place. Oh, what do you think we should do about this cracked manifold? I'm like, manna what? Manna what? Uh, Duct tape, okay? That fixes everything. And I my thought about that. But speaking of manna, Jesus could have rained manna down, right? So he could have just said, hey, we're going to bring manna. We're going to feed all these people the way that they were fed in the Old Testament. In fact, he's going to make reference to an Old Testament thing in just a little while. We could have just given them manna. Why did he ask this question? Well, John tells us why because Jesus did. He was testing Philip, is what it says, for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, this is what you need to hear. Sometimes God may allow big problems into our lives to test us, He may allow big problems into our lives to test our belief in him, our trust of him. Will we trust him? Will we believe that even though the problems we're facing are huge and they're big right in front of us, that he really has our best interest in mind as he's allowed this problem to come to my life? Will I believe that? See, Jesus has seen the need long before anyone else. Jesus could do that. He could see the need long before anyone else saw the need. Jesus already had a plan for how he was going to fulfill the need or he was going to take care of the need that they were facing he knew the solution long before there was actually a problem before them and that's the case for many of the problems that we face as well we come in we see a big hill we don't know what to do jesus has already seen the hill coming and he already has a solution that he wants to give us that he wants to turn us to see problems take us by surprise right they wouldn't be called problems you know, if we wanted them. They, no. They take us by surprise and they come and we realize that there's no way that we can meet the need. But problems never take Jesus by surprise. They never do. He knows what's going to happen and he knows the solution he has. So this is what Philip says to answer to that question. I think this is a pretty good answer, personally. I really do. He says this, even if we worked for months, and you know in other translations it'll say Even if we had 200 denarii, and so that's a form of money, and so one denarius is one day's wage back then, so he's saying that somewhere if you figure out, you know, if you work six days a week because you took the Sabbath off, that you would be about eight months, he's talking about. So even if we worked for eight months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So what's happening here is he's saying, that's a big problem, and I don't know what to do about it. So how do you feed... 15 10 to 15 to 20,000 people. He's going, "It would take 8 months of wages of work just to have enough money to Jesus buy them a snack. Just to buy them a snack. And even if Jesus, we could come up with that much money, but you remember you chose Judas as our, you know, bookkeeper and we're running short right now. Just remember that. <laughs> even if we did have the money to buy this much food, where would we get it? We can't call out for pizza. Where do we get it? There's no takeout anywhere close. There's no grocery stores that we can go to. Jesus, this is just too big. It's beyond our capability. It's beyond our ability to make a difference. Now, isn't it interesting how when we get into circumstances that we can blow them up and make them look so big, make them look impossible, make them look so... Huge in front of us that we feel fear and anxious and anxiety inside because we don't know what to do. And what Jesus is wanting Philip to know right here and Philip to learn, and I think you and me as well, is that when we get to the place where everything looks big, he's there. And he wants us to turn to him and not to our own solutions in the ways that we would do it. See, what happens is, is we often forget and we're in the middle of stuff, and we're seeing the big thing right in front of us, we often forget that God is right here with us. We forget how God has you know, come through in the past. This is why it's so good to journal. It's so good to you know, practice gratitude. We forget how God has come through in the past, and then what happens then is when we forget how he's come through in the past, we then fail to trust him in the future. We fail to trust him for the problem right in front of us. One author says that we end up living like practical atheists. We're followers of Jesus who end up living like practical atheists. We say we believe, we go to church, we pray, but when things are overwhelming in front of us and we don't see how we could ever meet the need that we're facing, we end up anxious because inside, anxiety is showing that we really believe it's up to us. We really believe it's up to us. So ask yourself this question. What in my life am I believing Is too big for God. What in my life am I believing is too big for God? What is it that you're thinking is too big for God to handle? Could be a habit that you're in. It could be the habit of someone that you love is actually causing you a lot of grief. Maybe it's a career that seems stalled and you're wondering how you're going to get moving again. Maybe as we talked about, it's financial difficulty. Sometimes those financial, because we honestly, we can't make money. The government does, but we can't, right? So we get to those financial difficulties. We wonder what we're going to do. It looks so big. Maybe it's your marriage and you're in marriage struggles or it's your kids and they've just gone off the rails, or in some way they're hurting, and you're wishing that you could solve their problems, or maybe it's your parents, and you're looking at, you know, they're aging, and you're wondering, you know, that has you overwhelmed. Well, see, the point here is that Jesus is calling us to trust that God is our compassionate and capable Father, our compassionate and capable Father, and he has all the resources that we could ever need. So that's what we learned how to face shortages, is to trust him that he has all the resources that we would need. Second one is this. We're going to walk through these miracles here. The second one is this. Jesus calms our anxious thoughts when we're discouraged by our resources. So we're discouraged by our resources. And so the key would be to think about our what lack of resources. So, But you just resources overall, I'm discouraged about what I have. Now here's how this anxiety thing works. First, we get anxious because problems come and problems look too big. And so we look at it and we say, this is too big. But then the second thing happens, I'm looking at my problem. I'm saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. The second thing that happens is is I look at my resources and I say, they're too little. They're too small. And so I have double anxiety now because I look at how big it is and I see how small my resources are. And then that leads us to discouragement. And that's what happened with Andrew. So Andrew says this, verse 8. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So he's heard Philip's suggestion and uh, that there's no no hope here and uh, the mountain's too big. And then so what he says here is he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Can can you imagine how silent everything got right here? 15, 20,000 people. And you're saying that five loaves and two fish are gonna take care of this disastrous thing that's going on. Eh, we have too little, too little. And then he says this, and I think it's just the wonderful Eor statement of the Bible. If you understand Eor and how he always was, but what good is that with this huge crowd? He says, He said, Oh my word, we've got this, but it's too little. How's it gonna make a difference with this huge crowd? So he's gone, We have five barley loaves, we have two fish. And what is it going to, how is it going to make a difference? So here's, how, here's the difference between the two. Philip looks at the problem, and he says, it's too big, it's too big, it's too big. Andrew looks at the problem, and he says this, it's too little, it's too little, it's too little, because he looks at his resources. They're too little. And what we need to remember is that when we look at our needs, that even with our limited resources, Jesus makes the limited resources we have Stretch to fit the need. He makes them stretch to fit the need. So turn your, verses, your, your notes over on the backside to verse 10. You have your Bible, just look in verse 10. And let's just look at what Jesus did. So, first of all, Jesus says this He says, Tell everyone to sit down. And, you know, so uh, a lot of every, all the reading I did made a big deal about this, so I thought I would too, is that when they said there sit down, it didn't mean, you know, just pull up a chair. Uh, because the way that they ate in this culture was that they reclined and dined. Okay, so he's calling them to recline on the hillside and get ready because a feast is coming get ready because a feast is coming. It's kind of what it was that Jesus said here. So it says, they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. So we've already talked about that. And at this point, I just think that they're saying, everybody sit down, everybody sit down. Everybody's wondering, what's Jesus going to do? His disciples are going, oh God, please let him come through. What's he going to do here? And they were feeling problem, little resources. They're incredibly anxious, I think at this point. And it says in verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves Okay, we had the five loaves. Now, these were barley loaves, and they were small and flat. Kind of picture a small pita pocket, okay? So five of those, and he's saying, this is what we have as far as bread. And then it says this. It says, he gave thanks to God. This is so key, folks. He gave thanks to God. He gave thanks to God for what he had, and then God made what he had become all he needed. Isn't that cool? He gave thanks to God for what he had, and God made what he had to become all he needed. See, what happens is when we have gratitude, when we thank God, when we thank God for what he had, it moves our eyes off the problem that seems so huge. It moves our eyes off of the resources that seem so small or so little, and what causes to put our eyes on God, who's bigger than any problem and has more resources, has all the resources on the earth, all the resources in the universe, actually. And then it says this after he was grateful. So there's a one way right there. You just say, a way out of anxiety is to practice gratitude. It's to practice gratitude. And it says this. And then he distributed them to the people. I couldn't find anybody that, as I was reading, I was doing all the research. That, you know, because we don't have the video of how it happened. It wasn't posted. It didn't go viral. Nothing like that. But I was just thinking, how how did he do this? And so no one really knows. Uh, how he did it. Did he start breaking the bread? And and there's somebody, you know, he has his back to them, and he's breaking the bread, and they get baskets, and they just keep getting more and more and more and more and more. We don't know, but it says he distributed to the people. And after he did the same with the fish, so you got to understand the fish here. The fish are not those big whoppers that we put on Instagram, right? You know, that we want everybody to see and gloat over the fact that we caught all this, caught a fish like this. It's nothing like that at all. They're little teeny tiny, almost sardine size. And They weren't fresh, okay? They were dried or pickled. Can you imagine eating pickled fish? Oh, yuck. Oh, that sounds terrible, but that's what they had. They had this, and then it says this. And once it was distributed, they all ate as much as they wanted as much as they wanted. Now, I think in the case of the pickled fish, that was probably one, right? (laughs) So they ate as much as they wanted, and so it was awesome. They ended up with way more than they needed, and I just think this is an awesome example of God's grace and God's provision. Our God is not a stingy God. He gave them more than they needed, and everyone was full Everyone was full. Can you just imagine what's going on here? And then disciples are going, everybody's full. And then Jesus says, go pick up the leftovers. Like leftovers? How We just fed 20,000 people possibly with five (laughs) barley loaves and two fish. And you think there's going to be leftovers? So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Woo! Can you imagine? So here's what happened. So when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, and and by the way, they're thinking our meal ticket has arrived, okay? They're they're not in the spiritual realm right now. They're thinking physically mainly right here. They exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. If you want to know about this prophet, go to Deuteronomy 18. Just write that down, Deuteronomy 18. It's in the Old Testament. You can read about Moses talking about the prophet who would, who would come again. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. This would not have happened in our day. In our day, what would happen is after Jesus did the feeding and the people came to him and they said, we want to make you to be king, the person would have said, I, I'm kingly material. Uh, You you bet I'll be your king and I'll take care of you. But Jesus instead slipped away to be by himself. Wow. So what was Jesus doing? Why would he do this? Well, here's what I believe, and it's not just from this instance, instance, but if you read throughout the New Testament, you read about Jesus, that it says that Jesus often got alone with God. Jesus went apart at night. Jesus went apart in the morning to be alone with God. And here's what I, I was thinking. It's my, this is just my, my thought about this, okay? I believe that he may have gone alone to pray so that he could ask God for the wisdom and strength to stick to the mission for which he came. And what was that mission? It was the cross. It was the cross. See, Jesus knew at this moment, this is a temptation, guys. at this moment He knew that he could say to, he could look around, the crowds were there, they were saying, "Jesus, we want to make you king. Jesus, we want to crown you king. Jesus, you've fed our needs, you've taken care of us, Jesus, we want you to take care of us for the rest of, and we want to establish this earthly kingdom. But Jesus came to be a spiritual king, to build a spiritual kingdom. So he went alone to be with God so that he could gain the strength to continue in the mission instead of taking the easy way out. So I want to ask, before we go on, what is it in your life that you're saying is too little for God to use? What is it in your life that you're saying is too little for God to use? What, what what have you looked at? You know, you look in your hands and you look at your resources, or you look at your books and you look at your resources, or are you look at your you know your degrees and you or lack you look at those and you look at your resources. What if you what if you what do you have in your hands? You're just saying there's just not enough for God to work with. I, I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough money. Um, I don't have enough relationships. Uh, I don't have enough. And because I don't have enough, I'm anxious and I hold on to it and I don't share it. I don't give it away. Can you imagine, just imagine what this little boy felt? Because he looked at what he had and everybody's saying it's too little. Everybody's saying it's not enough. And he gives it up. He gives it up, and then Jesus takes what little he has and he feeds fifteen to 20,000 people. Can you imagine? Do you think that little boy ever regretted giving his lunch to Jesus? Ever? I don't think so. In fact, I think he went home with a basket full of you know, leftovers for mom, and oh, look at what happened. I think he totally celebrated. But folks, what happens with us is we look at our mountains and we look at how little and and our anxiety causes us to close up and we live with a scarcity mentality and we're not willing to give and we're not willing to share. So I just want to encourage you that Jesus asks us to take what little we have and give it and allow him to bless it, allow him to make it much, allow him to be the one who makes the problem little as we give to him. Okay, third idea is this, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happened next in the story, and we're going to look at this miracle on the Sea of Galilee, and so the third idea is this, Jesus calms our anxious thoughts when we're frightened by our storms. Some of you are frightened by storms. I know my mom recently posted pictures on, uh, on social media, and she did that, she was showing these hailstones that were about this big that had fallen, golf ball, that had fallen. She said it must have been about 30 minutes that they fell and destroyed their entire town. I mean, just golf balls uh, on everything. And so storms are something that are scary. They're scary. And so that's what happened with the disciples. They entered in, they, they went into a storm and they were frightened because of that and anxious. And so this is what it says. That evening, same evening, Jesus did the miracle. He's now slipped off to be alone with the father Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. Now, other translations, because told, this story is told in three other, two other places, say that Jesus actually told them to get into the boat and go to the other side. So Jesus has told them to do this. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now, I'm going to show you a picture here of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, on the far side, upper right, you see it's kind of a diamond on top. If you just draw a line across, uh, you have a diamond there, or a triangle, is what I mean, a triangle. And so you've got the sea, the Beza over there on the far right. There's a red thing with a ship sail above it. That's about where they were. They were on that those hills right there, and they were going to cross the sea to Capernaum, which is the city on the left there, where you just have that triangle straight across the baseline. And so that's what they were doing. And so they were like three to four miles. It's about five miles across. And they were headed to Capernaum. And there they were. That's where Jesus had called them to go. So here's what happened. And you know, there's a lot of folks that talk about the weather and how this actually happened. But the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And so the, the, the winds would come in off the Mediterranean. As they came in off the Mediterranean, they'd just come down, they'd pick up steam, and they'd rush up against the cliffs on the top of what would be the triangle, and then they would bounce back, and the sea is shallow there, and it would just create these waves and storms, and no one could predict when they were going to come, and when they, come, they came, they were extremely dangerous. In fact, they you know, ex- excavated and found many ships that were capsized right there because of the storms. Okay, this is what it says. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified. <laughs> Understatement, okay? They're afraid of the storm, but now here's Jesus walking across the water. And the way that it's verbalized there in the Greek, it wasn't like he was sludging through water. You know how you would sludge through snow, or you're walking through some water that's about six inches to a foot deep, and you kind of just go through like that? The picture here, the word that's used is that Jesus was on top of the water taking a stroll, on top Taking a stroll. I just can't imagine this. And so that's what they saw. They saw Jesus coming to them in the storm at that moment. And he called out to them, Don't be afraid. I am here. Underline that, highlight it, circle it, whatever you have to do. Take this with you today. Don't be afraid. I am here. Then they were eager. Now they weren't frightened anymore. They were eager to let Jesus in the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. This is a miracle, too. They're still about four miles off. Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately they're at the shore. Now, I don't know how that happened. Was it whiplash? Woo! And it was just fast getting there, but somehow they're now immediately at the shore and at the destination. And so what I was thinking about, and I wanted to share a little bit to help some of us, is that oftentimes, when you look at the story, Jesus told them to get in the boat. When they got into the boat, they entered into a problem. And it got difficult, it got hard, they went into the storm. And oftentimes, what I think happens to people is that when they, when they, they judge whether or not they're in God's will by how easy things are. So, I must be in God's will because everything's falling in place. I must be in God's will because it's easy right now. Or, I can know I'm not in God's will... If it's hard or if it's difficult, I must have taken the wrong turn. I must have heard wrong, or I wouldn't have been in a storm. Things wouldn't be going the way they are right now. But what I see in this story is that Jesus' disciples were in the middle of God's will. Jesus had told them to get into the boat, Jesus had told them to go to the other side. Jesus had led them into the storm. That's the middle of God's will. So there are going to be times, folks, when you're in the middle of God's will and it's going to be hell around you, chaos, storms going on everywhere. And you're going to be, other people are going to tell you, you must have missed God's will. And you're going to say, no, I know what God said to me. I know I'm right in the right place. You must have missed God. No, God leads us sometimes into opportunities for growth. Opportunities for growth. Why? Here's why. So that they and so you and I could know that Jesus is the Lord of the storm. So that we could know that he's the Lord of the storm. That Jesus is present and available to us in the middle of every storm. Storms aren't necessarily a sign you've done something wrong or that you're out of God's will. You may be doing exactly what God asked you to do when he asked you to do it. In the way he asked you to do it, and you still may be in a storm. Storms are just part of life. It's filtered through God's loving fingers and loving hands to you. But they're an opportunity for us to realize that no matter what storm I may face, I don't face it alone. Jesus is in my boat. Jesus is with me. And Jesus wants to tell us today the same thing. He wants to tell us those words he told to the disciples Don't be afraid, I am here. Don't be afraid, I am here. Now, in the Greek language, the actual words that this was translated into English, don't be afraid, I am here. If you just took the words and you put the words next to each other, the words say this, I am, no fear. I am, no fear. In English, don't be afraid because I am here. And Jesus is wanting them to realize, and I think he's wanting us to realize as well, he's saying this, because I am near, there is nothing to fear. Because I am near, because I am there, there is nothing to fear. I am has a lot to do with Moses in the Old Testament, when Moses was being called to lead God's people out of slavery, and Moses said, well, okay, who's sending me? They're going to ask, and he asked God, and God said, tell them I am sent you. So we're going to talk a lot about this in the fall when we look at Jesus' I am statements. But what I want us to get is this, just simply, I am, no fear. So when I know the I am, there's nothing to fear. This is graduate level trust. When I say in every storm, in every shortage, in every mountain, that I I'm going to say, because you are with me, Jesus, because you are here, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, because you are there, Jesus. (sighs) I'm going to release my anxiety, my stress, my control. I'm going to let go of the outcomes, and I'm going to trust you. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to do with our anxiety. When we know who Jesus is, he sets us free from anxiety as we trust him to be who he says he is. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you for this story in my life you know my struggle with anxiety you know the struggle i have with worry you know how hard it is for me to let go and to trust you fully to let go of outcomes to see that your hand is in everything lord i know there are people in the room that are just like me that every one of us has something in our life right now that's going on that is a that could be a cause of anxiety we have a mountain And we're just looking at it, and we don't know how to get around it. Do we go through it? How's anything going to make a difference? And we look at our resources, and they're just so little. How can you use what little I have, Jesus? And the waves are crazy around us, because now there's a storm. All at once. And Jesus, I pray today that you would help every one of us, that you would speak to every one of us, that we would know that you are there, that you are near, that we're never in a place that you are not. And you're not waiting on us. You're coming to us. You're calling out to us. You came to them in the storm. You walked across the water. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grow in trust. I want to talk to those who have never said yes to Jesus. That For right now, you've just said, I've never said yes to him. I, w- I want to have that kind of relationship with him. If you do, just pray with me. Say, Jesus, as much as I understand this, I want you to be the Lord of my life, the Lord of my storm, the Lord of my mountain, the Lord of my resources. So I come to you as my spiritual king. You went to the cross for me. You died that I could have cleansing and that I could be free from sin and that I could be set free into the life you have for me. And Jesus, I confess that and I want to receive that. And Jesus, I ask you to empower me now. I want to be baptized like these folks were today. I want to identify with you as well, Jesus. And God, I pray for us all, me included that this isn't just a message for this 40 minutes we've been here, hour and a half, but this is a message that's going to transform me because I know that when I walk out of here, there's going to be anxious thoughts. Help me, Jesus, to learn to trust in you. Help me to learn to walk through anxious thoughts without anxiety. So we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.